All right, well, good morning from New Orleans, the safest city on planet Earth. We barely made it out alive. We're happy to be here. I think we just uh, took over St. Louis uh, for the number one city in the nation to watch your back. Um, so if you don't go to New Orleans, um, you don't, you're, you're missing a lot. I would encourage you to get there. I noticed on the way in, and, and for those of you who are in different locations, but I noticed that Gulfport has some new roads uh, coming off the interstate. Congratulations, you graduated to Blacktop. Um, it seems you guys may have had a gravel road before, but it was looking really, really clean on the way in. Um, you guys probably get a Starbucks soon if you keep it up. Is that okay? But all, you know, Wiggins, I love you guys. Uh, Ocean Springs, I love you guys. But we got to give a little flack to, uh, to this uh, little neighborhood here. Well, thank you for having me, really. I appreciate uh, the invitation that you guys would have me and come hang out with you. Um, so yeah, we've been friends for a long time. And a little bit about myself, we have a, uh, have a family of seven. My wife and I have been married uh, 19 years and uh, we have three boys and then two girls. They're 18, so a senior in high school, all the way down to six, a kindergartner as well. So we're, we're in the middle of it all right now. And uh, yeah, I've been in business now for about nine years. I have two business partners, and we have seven restaurants across three states. We have, uh, we're in Jackson, Mississippi, as he mentioned, so I definitely feel like one of you. How about that? Um, so yeah, and, and prior to that, I was, I was in the ministry, and, and now I lead the student ministry at our church, and something that I did a, a long time ago, never thought I would do again, but I'm happy to, happy to be doing it. And so I appreciate you guys having me. And I'm excited about, about uh, Psalm 33, as we're going to get into the word here in just a moment. I'm going to go ahead and pray and ask God uh, to open our eyes to his word. Father, we are grateful that you have brought us here. God, we ask that you would open our eyes and help us to see you more clearly through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I just quickly want to geek out about my favorite television show. Um, all of anyone else, Desperate Housewives fans? Um, so The Office. Uh, the Office is my all-time favorite show, 2005 to 2013. A, a guy named Steve Carell was the lead uh, guy in that. He played a man named Michael Scott. And the show was just a common show about a group of people, a manager and his employees, and the camera would follow him around almost 24-7 for uh, nine seasons, this ran. And so it was one of my favorites, but at season seven, uh, Michael Scott, who was played by Steve Carell, decided, Steve Carell decided uh, he didn't want to do it anymore because he, he said he wanted to spend more time with his family. Um, and so he removed himself at the end of season seven, but the show did not finish. I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, at the end of the first Star Wars, the first trilogy, Luke Skywalker moves out at the end of the first movie, and all of a sudden you're left with Star Wars, no Luke Skywalker. How about Joanna Gaines moving out of the Magnolia the whole movement, fixer-upper, season two ends, and then she leaves, and it's just chip left, right? I mean, could you, could you imagine? Or, or, or uh, Frodo Baggins from The Lord of the Rings. After The Fellowship of the Ring, it was three of them, but could you imagine at the end of the first movie, Frodo dies off, and now who do you follow? 
Or for all of you who are South Park fans, Eric Cartman disappears after a few seasons. Or Frasier leaves Frasier, House leaves House. Jerry Seinfeld leaves Seinfeld. I mean, are you kidding me? Why even continue on with the show? Well, they did for two more seasons. And then everyone came to a final place of confession, I think, and said, man, we lost our guy. Let's just go ahead and shut the whole thing down. You see, the number one player is always necessary, right? I mean, there's no replacement for the person who is most important in the storyline of a show. And, and at the end, when Steve Carell left, there were other insertions of people who tried to take the senior role, but it never really fell out from a viewer's standpoint in a way that satisfied you long-term. And there was a lot of conversation about spin-off, maybe we could take this guy or this gal and, and do their own thing, but clearly without the main player, things, things don't make sense. And so there's nothing like a show without a main character. Um, have you ever been in a relationship with a person who makes the show of life mainly about them? And, and you ever got the, the feeling like it's really not about you? Um, you know, one of our daughters who uh, we just newly adopted, our youngest, and she's trying to find her way in. She's six years old. And in conversation, we'll be talking about, I mean, it could be something about my work. It could be something about the car. It could be something about, it, it just doesn't matter. And she'll insert this as she's trying to find her role and identity in our family. She'll insert this like, who, me? She turns whatever story it could be, and it has nothing to do with her, but she's inserting, who, me? And we're like, no, not you. It was about the new tires. <laughs> and, and life, you know, like if you've ever engaged people in life, sometimes it feels like people make it about themselves. Like, who, me? And you're like, not, not really. I don't know how you got there. If we're talking about this. It's not, a, it's not about you. But, you know, often we don't think of ourselves as those types of people, do we? We usually give ourselves a pass and we don't think like we're the types of people who are making life about us. Uh, we look at others as those people, but can I, can I insert something here? Can I tell you, I wanna suggest, I think all of us emphatically make life about us. I think 100% of us. I don't think there's one person in this room or at the location where you are, I don't think there's any person on the globe that doesn't, at the end of season seven, try to insert themselves as the primary candidate to be the primary focus, to have the show written for, directed by, cast by, composed by, win the award. Man, life is easy for us to insert ourselves to be the one who accepts the main role. But I just want to remind all of us, and more importantly than me, the scripture, I think, wants to remind all of us, instruct us, and, and maybe correct us that, that there is no insertion for the number one role. And the Bible would suggest to us that the one who the show was written for, life, the one it was written by, 
The one who casts all of the players and the supporting cast and who called the food in, the food trucks, and decided on what the plot would be and where would we, where, where it would be. And, and when it came time to receiving the award, it would be one person because the show was about that one person. It was never about anyone else. And if you removed him, it would just be a waste of everyone's time. What is Star Wars without Luke Skywalker? What is life without God as the central picture of every single breath, every single day. What direction do we have? What is it all about if it's not about him? But man, it's easy. We often, we see that opening. Season eight. And we wake up like this. Man, my back hurts today. This is how it starts. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Man, there's nothing good to eat. We need more money. I wish I had a better car. I hate you. I mean, it could be anything. But it's about how we feel. And everything in life continuously revolves around us. But we're going to go to Psalm 33, and we're going to ask God to open our eyes to see that life is not about us. So Psalm chapter 33, if you have a digital Bible on your phone, please open it. If you have a physical one, Psalm chapter 33. And I'd like to explore just four ideas and maybe the scripture unpacks its own ideas, but as I see it, as I think about it, um, the, the hope for me, a few truths that I find in Psalm uh, chapter 33. Number one, God made all things. Number two, God rules over all things. Number three, God saves by his own means. And number four, we must trust in his means of salvation. There was this very passive Number four, it's like we must trust and every activity, everything proactive in these four ideas, God is center stage. And Psalm 33 is reminding us of these things. So Psalm 33, verse one through three, it doesn't tell us that it was written by David. Many believe it was written by David, but we'll say the psalmist. Verse one says this, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Another way to say that is praise is the right thing to do for people who know God. Verse 2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. If you were in this room or another as we were worshiping God, we, there were strings on stage and there were voices that were singing. And so this is what he is commanding us to do. Verse three, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. The psalmist is compelling the people of God to praise and worship God. He says that it is the appropriate thing to do. Much like it would be appropriate to dress up when you go to a wedding. Anyone ever seen anyone at a wedding and you think to yourself, now that's just inappropriate. Much like it would be appropriate to cheer for the LSU Fighting Tigers and anything else is inappropriate. How about the Saints? 
Got a believer or two. (laughs) There are certain things that are appropriate. And one of the things for the people of God is to sing praises about who he is and to worship him. The, the good thing is God tells us, listen, take some audacity for God to tell us, worship me. If a person told you, sing to me, worship me, go buy an instrument and play for me, would you respond nicely to that? All of the wives, go ahead and nudge the husband. That's an inappropriate thing to say, yet God instructs, compels, commands through the psalmist that we would do this. Does that kind of tell you who the main person in the story is? And so there's a group of people who are receiving this word, but they don't look like the people who would be receiving the award. They are the ones who are fanning the flame for the one when he gets up, they cheer him on. But he doesn't leave us just with praise him. It's it's really neat that he continues on and gives us reasons why we should praise him. So in verse four and five, the psalmist begins to persuade us with four reasons as to why we should worship God. So for the word of the Lord is Upright. Number one, it's his word, and we're going to explore that. And all his work is done in faithfulness. Number two, it's his plan, and we're going to explore that. Number five, he loves righteousness and justice. It's his judgment, and we are going to explore that. And number four, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The fourth reason we are compelled to praise God is his love. Not only does he say, praise me, but then he says, oh, and by the way, let me tell you why. He's positioning us. Let me tell you why you should lift me up on the earth. And not only does he leave us four good reasons why, but then he gives us examples of his love, of his judgment, of his plan, of his word. I mean, he is thorough about why we should sing his praise. So if you were wondering if the Bible has anything to teach us or is applicable to life or has anything to say directly now, it is compelling us to praise him for four reasons. And then beneath those four reasons, let's go ahead and talk about those, the ways in which he has exemplified those things on this earth. He is detailed in requiring our praise. So let's jump in for the remainder of our time. Psalm 33, verse six through nine. By the word of the Lord, we're gonna talk about his word first. The word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be and he commanded and it stood firm. Can we talk for a moment about what God created when he spoke a word? And I want you to ask yourselves as I run through a few things, could I do that? Could I do that? Could I do that? 
And when the answer resoundingly comes back, no, never, no, never, let the word of God properly position you to be who you were intended to be, a worshiper in awe of our God. Can we just observe that the planet that we live on is 10 times smaller than the largest planet in our solar system. There is a planet just in our solar system that's 10 times as big as Earth. And man, aren't we a big deal. And our, we're just one of, a, one of a many billion people, but there's another planet out there 10 times as big. The solar system, it's just simply a star with planets orbiting around it. And so his word in Genesis tells us that he created all these things. He spoke. And so our solar system has a little baby star, and we call it the sun. And then around that sun exists a bunch of, a bunch of planets my very elegant mother, just serve me nine pizzas. You remember you were taught ways to memorize the planets when you were a kid? And so we thought the whole world was all about us. Like we're the only people on the planet. Wow, we are such a big deal. But as you grow and you recognize, man, there's so much out there that's not about me. We're just one star with a bunch of planets around it. Astronomers have found that there are more than 3,200 stars like the sun with planets orbiting around it in our galaxy alone. The Milky Way galaxy has more than 3,000 suns with my very eloquent Mars and Venus and Earth and Jupiter and Neptune. There's over 3,000 suns that have, they have, its own, they have their own collection of planets like ours. Did you ever see those? Did you even know that there were 3,200 other suns out there with thousands and thousands of planets? And this is what we have seen in our galaxy. Oh, could you do that? The Hubble telescope, which is the old telescope now, the James Webb telescope is now the biggest and the baddest thing. If you haven't heard of it, go look it up on Google. It's a website. It's really cool. So the Hubble telescope looked at a small patch of space for 12 days, just 12 days, just right there and found more than 10,000 galaxies. The Milky Way is one. The Hubble telescope can barely see. And it looked right there for just 12 days and found more than 10,000 galaxies that have all of their own stars with orbiting planets. Did you know that? Did you see that? Could you speak that into existence? Could you create that? Scientists estimate that there are between 100 or 200 billion galaxies, of which we are one. Galaxies. <laughs> Let's continue to gaze upon the unbelievable glory of God through creation. The earth spins on its axis about a thousand miles per hour. The earth then orbits around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. Keep in mind, a plane only goes 500 miles an hour. 
So when you think you're going fast in the plane, double that is as fast as we're turning. And then at 67,000, we're going around the sun. The sun and our solar system are then, they have their own car that they're driving in, and they're driving at 448,000 miles per hour around the galaxy. Did you know we're driving that fast right now? Just the solar system is doing that. It would take our solar system about 230 million years to travel all the way around the Milky Way galaxy. That's how big the Milky Way galaxy is at that speed. The Milky Way is traveling toward its closest neighbor galaxy, Andromeda, at about 70 miles per second. You know when they're going to reach each other at 70 miles per second? If they continue on, it'll take about 4 billion years until they hit. At 70 miles per second. What an embarrassingly slow speed they are running at. And this, we sit inside of that on planet Earth, a grain of sand inside of this galaxy. And listen, y'all. We are a big deal, aren't we? <laughs> Season eight. And our life is but a vapor. It's a moment of time. And we are consumed with ourselves by nature. This is who we are. This is who God is. And this is who we are. And the Bible says it is absolutely appropriate that if you know God, you would praise him. For what? For that? For his unbelievable beauty and majesty that we would pour out our lives as an offering and say, God, who am I compared to you? This is a Christian who properly positions his or her life next to the glory of God and his fame and credit that he deserves. Are we properly positioning ourselves next to his glory? Would be a good question, wouldn't it? So he is worthy of our praise because of his word. He is worthy of our praise because of his plan. You know, there have been two plans raging against one another since the Garden of Eden. Two plans. The plan of God and the plan or the counsel of his enemy, the Bible in Revelation 12 and 20 calls the great serpent. And we see this all the way back to Genesis where the, that serpent comes in the garden and gives counsel to Adam and Eve. And so, verse 10 in th Psalm 33, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. You know whose counsel has been in our ear for quite some time? generation upon generation. It's the counsel of that great serpent, the enemy, the devil. And this is what the Bible says about that attempt, and this is what God says about that attempt. He is going to bring it to nothing. Can you do that? Can you frustrate the plan of the people 
Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Aren't you happy to know that there are plans working against God, but God will smash those plans? The Bible says if he has created these galaxies, certainly within one of those galaxies on one small planet that he, that he holds it in the palm of his hand, certainly he has dominion and sovereignty and control over that. I hope we don't think that's too big of a deal for him. But you don't understand, it's my life, it's so hard. I get it, it is hard. But God is so big. He is, he's so famous. He is so competent. He is so capable. He is utterly beyond what we could possibly imagine. He is in control. And he will bring, his plan will bring to failure and demise, the counsel of the serpent and all of the lies that have been being told for thousands of years. One day, he will finally crush the counsel. And we're in the meantime, aren't we? But we are called to believe in his word. We are called to believe in his plan. And then the appropriate response is that we would praise him. Praise him. Like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, if you're not familiar with those three names, way back in the Old Testament, these were three men, and they were put into a furnace to be killed, and this was their confession. Even in the middle of the council that is coming to kill me, I still, even if I die, I will trust him, praise him, worship him. Why? Because it is fitting that we would do so. Not that we would run from God and be angry at God, but rather that we would worship God. And we're all, man, in different places at different times. And we want to get mad, don't we? And we want to be angry at people and angry at God. But our proper response is worship. Let's look at his judgment. Verse 13, 14, and 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. You know, aren't you happy to know that he didn't just create it and go take a nap? He didn't put into play all of the galaxies and then go find somewhere else to be. He positions himself to us as a God who looks down from heaven. He sees all of the children of men. He is not detached. He is not far. He's not taking a nap. He is not disconnected. There is something, God, there's something within him that cares deeply and is affectionate toward each of us that he would watch, not lazily, 
not passively, but that he would be gazing and intensely seeing us. This should do a couple of things. It should create awe and fear inside of us, shouldn't it? That he sees the heart that he fashioned, that you have, that he gave you, every single small thing about you is from his hands and he's watching with intent to make a judgment on us. Now we're gonna get to the good news in just a moment, but it should allow us to say, oh God, how can I respond appropriately to your gaze? And you know, it's easy to not even think about his gaze, isn't it? It's easy to not even think that he is in the heavens even aware of us, watching us. It's easy to go through a week and not submit ourselves in any way to his word and not even give consciousness to him. Yet in all of those days, he gazes. He watches. He sees everything we do. He doesn't just put it into play, but then he is connected intimately and we see his plan is working. This is the God Christians serve. This is a good story. And we're going to get to how that could be good in just a moment. It seems fearful to me, doesn't it? And to those who are far from God, that may not be compelling or good news. But to those who have come to know what God has done, it is good news. So he is worthy of our praise because he sees all of us. And we do not have the cap capacity for that. And lastly, his love. Verse 16. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the famine. You know that all of us have our own war horse, right? You know, all of us see ourselves as kings, and we have horses that we get on, and we have soldiers that we put in play. Now, the problem is, you know those little plastic green soldiers we used to play with as kids? If you're, if you're a girl, I can't relate, so I'm trying to think, how would I relate to you right now? <laughs> but what are those things that set up fear in other people and pop, 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 pop? Like those types of, that's our, that's like our horse. Little plastic carving things that just fall down. And we have those things and we position those things in different places and under forts and tents in life. And, and we get strong and we show people that you can't and if you, and there's all these ways by which we save ourselves. But you know, all of those things fail. They all are destined to crumble. There is no shield, no sword that can save. Nothing. If you look back in history, all of the great empires 
have not lasted. We know this. And America, man, we're saddling up hard right now for just a few hundred years on a tiny planet spinning in a way that we don't even understand. We are very weak when it comes to saving ourselves. I mean, think about it. Did you wake up this morning when you wanted to wake up? That's a good starter. Or could you, oh, I can't even wake up and you snooze. Like we can't even control when we go to the bathroom. Like we don't have power over ourselves in such a way that makes us feel strong. Yet we set ourselves up in our own minds to believe that we have the means for salvation. Okay, so those very hands that created the universe descend to this speck we call earth, comes in the form of man, the expression of God. We call him Christ Jesus. So the one who made all of those stars and all of those galaxies, who not only didn't detach, but then watches everything, he then suits up to look like me and you, and he comes for a visit. And of course, we treat him appropriately, right? Psalm 33, I mean, everyone just praised him and glorified him, and it's befitting. It's the right thing to do. But it's the exact thing, exact opposite thing is that we, what we actually did, once he suited up the one who created all, he suits up, and then we kill him. <laughs> that is mind-blowing. And not only did we kill him, but he did not resist, but rather poured out his life for us and accepted those hands as they were on that cross like this were the very hands that put the whole spinning motion in play. Through a word that he spoke, he created the galaxies and then those hands are on a cross dying for me and you. In our place, for our sin, because we listen to the counsel of the nations. Generation after generation, we listen to the counsel of the great serpent. But those who put their hope in him will be saved. And so Christ comes. And he is our offering, he is our sacrifice. He is treated in a way that we should ourselves be treated. Rather than us praising and worshiping, our sin is the vessel. It is the reason for the coming of our God. Now, sin did not force that upon him. God, in his love, saw fit that he would lay his life down so that we would not. But here's a good question. Why? Why would he do that? And can I encourage you to look one place? There's one answer. You want to know why? Because he deserves fame for who he is. Not so that we could have a better life. 
a blip of a life on a radar so we can have more money, so we can be more comfortable, so we can have air conditioning. Do you think the God who made the universe comes to make us comfortable? He comes to be praised and seen for who he is and then commands on the other side that we would lay our lives down as he did. Not that we would get rich. Not that we would have more. Not that we wish we could have a better spouse or finally have a spouse and then all of our contentment, but rather he comes so that we would look directly at the one who deserves our praise. And if our lives allowed him, if we chose to put him center stage as he deserves, would anything change in your life? If you saw the cross and you saw his plan, you saw his love, you saw his counsel, you are aware of his judgment and you, you put that center stage, what would your life look like? And I think it looks a lot like forfeiting everything in our lives to gain Christ. It looks like God, none of this is mine. I can't even control when my heart beats. What would you have for me? God, I, I, don't, I don't even know how my hands work. I don't understand the galaxies. I don't know what to do. I just know this. I should worship you. What does that mean, God? How can I follow you? How can I believe you? How can I trust you? God, I set up these small little military guys all around me and I call it success and I call it financial provision and I call it relational healing and I call it like confidence, like all these things. But God, can you help me tear those things down and set my gaze upon you as you gaze upon me? Like this is the appropriate response of a Christian, you know what it doesn't look like? Coming to church, going home to watch football, and then going to work. That's a boring, bad story, and it's an awful response in light of the story of God. Have you ever seen a love story? Have you ever watched one happen? And you see someone's adoration toward another? and then their response is unfitting, it's inappropriate. We usually don't like to position ourselves as the person who has the unfitting response. But in light of the scripture, we might look at ourselves a little bit more that way. And we're gonna close. Our soul, verse 20, waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Verse 22. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. You, you kind of get the idea that the psalmist just like, what? You see the response? It's like, let me throw down my horses and my chariots. God, I just want to wait on you. God, when you show up, God, 
you have a lot of galaxies going on. I'm just this little dude right here, like, whatever. <laughs> it's the appropriate response. And the good news once again, and they were saying this way back before Christ, but you know what they were pointing to when they were looking for hope? They were looking for redemption. And you know, we're on the other side of the cross, the death, burial, resurrection. And I think they were pointing to that hope, that one day, Lord, you would save us in a way. One day there will be a king who comes who will save us in a way that is unique and I can lay down all of my horses and I'm no longer the king and we're here now and it's easy for us to say like, hey, like, man, y'all should have sucked it up back then but don't you find yourself in the same place Then here's the same truth. This is what we're doing. We're looking forward to the end of time, aren't we? When one day Christ comes again as king and he eradicates the counsel of the enemy. And he brings to nothing everything that is against him. And he positions himself visibly, physically, much like they were anticipating Christ to come or the Messiah to come for the first time. We are waiting for the Messiah to come back. And in the meantime, I want to just read it one more time. In the meantime, our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. So God, let your steadfast love be upon us even as we wait for you. God, be the center of the story. Position us properly. Help us to see that we are small. But you, you are great. And in the meantime, God, when life is hard and it doesn't make sense and I want to be common and I want to be lazy, I'm just going to put my hope in you and I'm going to say one day I know he will come. God, your steadfast love, let it be the thing that satisfies me. Keep my eyes from being tempted and moving toward the counsel of the world. God, help me to see Christ that he is the big picture, he is the one who receives the award, everything was written about him, for him, by him, to him, through him, it is Christ. If our lives reflect this posture, this is what we do, we worship God. We praise him because we finally see it's fitting. It's appropriate, it's right. Yeah, but life's wrong, it doesn't matter, it is right to praise him. And we have a story to tell those who are far from God. And it is a good story. It is a story about how God came, that he sees them, that he gazes upon them. The good news is in us, church. Let's be a people who pursue that truth and in our worship every day, we declare the glory of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that Psalm 33 is a psalm that persuades us to praise. God, we want to praise you with all of our hearts 
Help us to see you more clearly so that we might worship you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All of the locations that are not here, uh, thank you for being with me, with us, and your uh, campus pastor is going to go ahead and take it from here. Y'all have a great day.